you're listening to the Consequential Podcast. We're back. We've had, what, three weeks off? Oh, something like that. We, we work hard. We work hard. We do need a break. I had a little snooze. It was really nice. That voice is Roger. This other voice is Lucy. What voice? There's no voice. That's voice. It's got weird already. That's <laughs> got weird already. That was a little bit odd. We enjoyed the break. Yeah. We did enjoy the break. I think we've got... I stopped crying when I got to Kettering. Well, that's <laughs> nice. nice. That's not also not often something that happens. No, indeed. Which, which, which way were you heading? Towards that, Kettering. I don't know where Kettering is. Okay, so when you drive from... Sorry, Kettering. <laughs> you drive from Plymouth and you go towards Exeter and then Bristol and then you kind of go up past Birmingham and Coventry and then you get to Kettering and then you get kind of down to Cambridge. And you so. kind of stop crying. And then yeah, so we're talking like maybe four and a half hours into a six hour journey is when I stop crying. It's surprisingly easy to drive and cry at the same time. Better okay. than driving and sneezing and driving and puking. Right. Or driving with a wasp in the car. Well, yeah, exactly. It's Tom York sorting all the bees. Have you seen that gif? He does dance like a, like a bad person. <laughs> Have you seen the gif, though? No. Okay. No. You're gonna Maybe we should get him and Joe Cocker and... to have a sort of idiot flailing dance-off. So, yeah, he was flailing dance and somebody basically made it look like he was swatting bees away while he did that. <laughs> oh, Tom York. That was good. That was good stuff. So, you had a, obviously a lovely time. Yes. Roger, you had a lovely time? Yeah, you went to the I went somewhere and had kind of weird inverse Stendhal syndrome. But you got cheese in a sort tin. Sort of crying at the absence of art. Or just the horror of interior decor, really, but I am a bit of a bastard. I did go to an art gallery, it's kind of cool. Are you... <laughs> when? You haven't mentioned this before. True. Did you take your dad? Yeah, yeah, we went to the Baltic in Newcastle. Well, it's technically in Gateshead, but, you know, whatever. Um, Is this like Hove, actually? Pretty much. Right. Um, yeah, I went to the, the Baltic and uh, saw a couple of things. It's okay. But what, what, what we really want to know is who got comics for Christmas. I got comics for Christmas, but not as many as usual. But that was my fault, because I didn't ask for as many as usual. I got comics for Christmas. Also a tin of processed cheese. What what process had been done to it? Galvanisation? <laughs> I think it might have been the Harper process. Have you eaten it? No, I left it in Darlington. Why? Because it looked horrifying and my bag was heavy. That The sheer vociferousness of your response there suggests that you would have eaten it. He left his birthright in Darlington and mine too. <laughs> Darlington is kind of a camelot of processed cheese. Absolutely, just rising out of local bodies of water. Sorry, sorry, Darlington, sorry, Kettering. I'm not sorry. Well, I sat here and had a jolly time. Good, did you go to Walden? I did. Did you go to the woods to be alone? No, no. find porn. <laughs> All that. All that. Oh, no, I had a lovely time. Did you make many meats for your family? I like that you were doing a, you know, a WH Auden joke there and I was doing something else. I was doing was Thoreau. You were doing Thoreau, yeah, yes. Yeah, fuck sorry. Auden, fuck that guy. You know, hey. you, had, you know he had donuts, right? I like Auden. Thoreau or Auden? Thoreau. Oh, he had, like, dinner done from every night. He wasn't yeah. even fucking in the woods. People brought He made donuts. money off his family's pencil factory and just kind of invited himself to dinner constantly. He wasn't really alone at all. If he people, was just an unwanted guest who happened to live in a cabin. It wasn't even wood, it was a man-made wood. It wasn't even the wilderness. If people haven't read Walden, then they're going to assume that we're just kind of... Well, no, he doesn't really Spoiler say Spoiler alert for Walden. But it does really... 
it does really sound like we're just kind of describing an inconvenient guest rather than, you know, a man of a letters. Liar. Yeah. <laughs> no, a, a man a man of a man of letters who who basically made a lot of shit up. Mm. Kind of like the Jack Kerouac of sitting in a hut, really. I think Jack Kerouac did a lot of that at Big Sur as well. Yes. Yeah, a lot of hut sitting, a lot of trying different, not diff- to be mental or on drugs. Different sort of hut though, really. Yeah. Different hut. A hut of the mind. <laughs> So what comics did you all get? I think Lucy should start. So I got, it's going to take me a while. Uh, so I got... Mm. Um, uh, I'm going to say that again. Go on. So I got Room for Love by Ilya, who is a man, which I didn't know. Oh, I nearly bought that. It's good. Do you want to borrow it? Maybe. Didn't um, like the art. I liked the art better than I expected to from the cover. It's better inside mm. than the cover suggests, which is good. Fewer tube boobs. Mm. I was concerned about that. The, the nightgown is strange. Mm. And I got Light of My Shadow, which Roger has written and talked about before, and which I think we're going to talk about again. And I made the mistake of reading it last night before bedtime, and then I didn't sleep. You wouldn't. No. It's not easy. No. Scary. Roger. Um, Christmas gift, just um, Jerusalem by Guy Little, which was a, a gift from my aunt and was really quite interesting. I, I've, so I've only read Pyongyang. Which I have not read. Which I They're both really good, enjoyed. they're both really good. Mm. Pyongyang stopped me as inc- being sort of incredibly fair-handed. Shenzhen is also good. Yeah, so I, I wasn't totally sold on Jerusalem, I enjoyed reading it. It is, as you say, very even-handed. Um, which may not have You're been entirely not. what I was looking for in the context. Which <coughs> side did you want a polemic against out of interest so that our listeners know where you stand on the Israeli-Palestinian debate? I, I stand horribly underinformed and so not really totally willing to commit, but I kind of wanted a bit less even-handedness on both sides. He sort of keeps a lid on it until mm. quite late on in the book, where he starts to become, I think, a bit more explicitly sympathetic to the Palestinian situation. So as, as the person here who's read both of them, mm. I think that Jerusalem is more meandering than Pyongyang. Pyongyang felt Takes a quite tight and quite focused. And yeah, even though it's kind of a memoir of sure absolute boredom. Yeah, but um, it's even still he kind of... Jerusalem felt like more like a walk through mm. his own experience than an account of it. It's and I enjoyed that, but I think think I prefer Pyongyang on balance. I should read it. I, oh, I, I kind of, I liked the style, but the fact that it was quite drawn out irritated me. It felt like there were two things there. One was a piece of, not exactly investigative journalism, but a piece of reporting about, uh, it's kind of explicit that he's talking about two Jerusalems, and obviously there's a divisional parallel there, but that's kind of not the point. There's a kind of tourist and cultural experience of Jerusalem, which he writes about for some of the book, and then weaves through it an experience of Jerusalem, the problematic space in the Arab-Israeli situation. Um, And I don't think those facets of the book sat together particularly cleanly. Mm. Um, And I don't think the tone he takes for the kind of touristic, wandering around, being a bit confused by cultural disconnect stuff, Mm. plays very nicely with um, the more politicised end, except in the section where on alternate days they take a tour with um, the Israeli army veterans who are somewhat disgusted by the situation and then the next day with the settlers. Mm. Um, and there's 
the kind of the tourist eyes on that with a little bit of critical distance is probably the section of it I thought would work the best for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, except the balls out cultural stuff, cultural kind of tourist stuff, which was just interesting. It kind of made me want to go to bits of Jerusalem. Mm. There is no way in hell I'm going to Jerusalem. I had a dream once that my dad phoned me up and said, why haven't you been to the Holy Land yet? And said he'd buy me a plane ticket immediately. Um, I still haven't made good on this, but I thought I, it... I don't think you get to make good on a dream. Fine. <laughs> that's not now a, you that's, tell me. That's not the world's worst life coaching, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, I did enjoy Jerusalem, but... Um, is it better or worse than the cookbook? The book. I don't think it's quite as good as the Ottoman language Jerusalem. Okay. Oh, the cookbook. The cookbook, yeah. yeah. Which is also a surprisingly even-handed, somewhat nostalgic, slightly touristy betrayal of a divided city with um, competing cultural influences. Much more delicious, generally. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I licked both of them and I have to say, no, I didn't. <laughs> Why not? Mm, get that bored. Mm. How many books called Jerusalem do you own? Maybe three, certainly two. How many of them are um, histories of the Women's Institute? Uh, none. Yeah. Time to expand? No. Fine. They're all very old. Mm. I, I think that was it for, for uh, Christmas books. We I also read some other bits and pieces. So um, read? I read The Chimpanzee Complex by um, Richard um, Marizano, I think. Uh, that's one of the cine book sci-fi pieces. Um... And it's so, not just about a house full of monkeys. It is not. Okay. I did enjoy that episode of Jonathan Creek, though. No, um, it's a uh, Franco-Belgian near-future mystery sci-fi. It's... I want to say Tintin does the X-Files, but that's not even slightly true. I just kind of enjoy the phrase. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's one of those pieces of Franco-Belgian sci-fi that Cinebook is sort of, you know, churning through. Uh, space capsule returns to Earth with what appear to be um, Neil Armstrong and uh, Buzz Buzz Aldrin. Aldrin. Thank you. Uh, and the other guy. Don't forget the other guy. Uh, he's not in space he's capsule. Not in the... um, they forgot the other they guy. They forgot the other guy. We forgot the other yeah. guy. Sorry, other guy. No, they explicitly make a joke about having forgot the other guy, but um, raising the question of who were the people that landed in 1960, whatnot, and. Three? Was it three? Nine. Nine. Thank you. Sorry. Um, and uh, Basic numerals. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I can do this shit. So a sort of failed astronaut is seconded to the intelligence services to help work out what the fuck is going on. And it becomes more and more murky and more and more weird. It's set against the backdrop of the cancellation of the first manned Martian mission, mm-hmm. which is what the um, protagonist was supposed to be going on, and she's quite upset. Um, and then there's this refrain about her daughter that's terribly emotionally heavy-handed. And I don't know, it's it's quite nicely drawn, albeit trying a little bit too hard to be photographic. Um, it's a nice mystery, it could do with being a little bit pacier. Some of the emotional punches are a bit shallow, but no, it's, it's, it's worth a look and it's very cheap. See, I wish people would stop naming books after primates. So the chimpanzee complex immediately turns me off. I just don't like monkeys, but what you said there, there no sounds really it. good. It's uh, The chimpanzee complex is, I don't know if this is an actual thing, I didn't bother checking. It's a psychological condition where um, primates are, um, that are part of experiments, particularly um, psychology experiments, are smart enough to know that they are in a system they can't control. Um, 
and if it's even slightly traumatic, then this can cause them to go nuts, which is in and of itself a kind of recursive joke about the plot of 2001. Hmm. Now that sounds good. People making comics stop calling them monkey things. Noted. Cut that shit right out. Yeah. No, it's, it's potentially quite interesting. What is, so what is the titular um, chimpanzee complex? Is it some experiment being done on the human race? What is actually going on? There are, some, there are some nice mysteries there. And the little, very subtle sort of structural hat tip to 2001 possibly suggests that we might see something quite interesting. Is it a standalone trade single? It's we um, three slim trades. Okay. Did you get the whole lot? Uh, no, um, I just picked up the first one in case it was Bobbins. I ordered the second one today because I thought, yeah, never mind. It's, it's, it's worth the punt. What else did I read? Um, can I trade you that for Room for Love? Because that yeah, sounds absolutely thing. It's, it's a very quick read. Uh, there's The Chimp Things, Jerusalem, Epileptic, which we'll be talking about later. And I've been sort of noodling around in some webcomics. I finally chewed through um, the less than epic adventures of TJ and Amal, which is a gay romance webcomic of intermediate quality, but some of the art's quite nice. Well, I dipped into I dipped into the later bits of that, and it looked to be very nicely drawn, mm. and you've been complaining about it, so I assume it's one of those things that's progressed in quality as it's gone on. It starts off okay, and then wobbles into full-on ropey. It just seems like the artist, I think she, um, I'm fairly sure it's a woman, um, looks like there were a few, uh, a few off days in the, in the early stages, and then the quality gets you know, consistently ratchets. Okay. I think with it being a hobby project, you know, yeah, no one's really going to gonna criticize for phoning it in on a couple of wet Wednesdays. Uh, it's got some lovely panels. It's not that interesting a story, but I do like what it does with the compression of time. It's 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 a uh, like four hundred odd page webcomic, and the elapsed time is a, a shade under a week. Right. That's the thing you can do in comics. Mm. It's a thing there. It might be a little longer than that, but it's it's short. Mm. I mean, it's where questionable content's been going for years. Yeah. It's it's a it's a road trip um, with occasional pauses for um, graphic sodomy. Any flashbacks? Hmm? We all love flashbacks. Um, Not for you no, to previous instances of graphic sodomy. It's pretty much all linear. That it's not very digressive. There are a couple of little bits, but yeah. Hmm. The, some of the graphic sodomy is very well drawn. It's kind of it's. Legitimately steamy, mm. and there's a very funny, uh, very funny page about genital piercings, which you know made me laugh quite a lot. Good to know what tickles Roger. It's holes in your junk. It's it's kind of funny. Holes in your junk, folks. Funny. Hot for twenty fourteen. I don't think I've got anything that compares to that. Well, you should have at least one hole in your junk. That's kind of the point. Well, that's, yeah, that that's kind of the bare minimum requirement. <laughs> um. Quite messy otherwise. Mm. Yes. Just gets like a balloon yeah, at a party. It's worrying. You people are terrible. <laughs> yup. So I've basically been catching up from everything that everyone said I should read last year that I didn't. Um, which means Michael DeForge, which everyone loves now. And I can see why people are excited by Sorry, Michael Sorry, remind DeForge. me which one Michael DeForge is. Michael DeForge is, is one of the animators on Adventure Time. Oh, yeah. And he's slowly been putting out solo work. Um, and uh, so there's a collection called Very Casual, which is lots and lots <sighs> of short yeah. pieces. And it's great if you like that unsettling stuff. And it's in, like, the craftsmanship is incredible. It's not really my sort of sense of humour. 
Um, it's a little bit sort of further out of the way, but there is some sort of delightfully unsettling stuff. There's, um, there's a, a story about deer that resemble, or sorry, giant slugs that resemble deer and their life cycles and how they're being driven out into the wilderness. And, um, another really good little short story about a guy who uh, gets into dropping litter as a, as a lifestyle choice. <laughs> and it just gets, you know, bigger, bigger and more advanced and he has to litter in more... Uh, Dangerous places, and yeah, that's some, that's some good. I, I love I love the idea of someone getting into something mind-numbingly irrelevant or tiny. Mm. Yes, but then it becomes this huge blight on society, and uh, the whole thing spirals out of control. It's uh, it's entertaining if you like sort of Ren and Stimpy style ickiness I in general. Know. There's a lot of that in his style. Um, I, I don't care. I, I have to confess, Adventure Time, and this is not going to make me any friends, is one of those things I just pretty much at a first glance filed under, probably too derpy, didn't watch. It just doesn't strike me as something that's going to appeal to me, and I, maybe I should give it a shot. So I, I like Adventure Time as it is when it goes further down the Ren and Stimpy spectrum is where it mm. loses me. And it gets there at the edges, but... Also, the visual style, I'm not mad on things in primary colours that look like balloon animals. There's a thing there, isn't there? There's something going on. You've got some sort of... Tragic blue animal past. Yes. I'm not telling you about it. We should unearth Did it you now. used to you be a do some blue animal giraffe? Yes. Can I still hypnotise you even though you confessed? Maybe. What's happening? No, you can't because he doesn't have eyes. Those just draw on with a marker pen. <laughs> Enough about my shame! So I also read The End of the Fucking World. Um, I've seen the cursing is part of the title, not just you. I do, liberal. I do, I do swear a lot, but the end of the fucking world is the. Uh, oh, this is the thing that Alice Cott was jizzing himself into a frenzy about at Thought Bubble. Everyone, yeah, there were a lot of people have been talking about it. It's um, again, doesn't quite sit with the sort of stuff that I generally really enjoy, but it's it's essentially a horrible road trip. Um, uh, Two people, it's two young lovers on a cross-country crime spree. It's a bit like Badlands, if Badlands was the Snoopy characters growing up a bit, or the, the, the Peanuts <laughs> characters. It's not quite the style, but it's a simplistic style, and occasionally it does just look exactly like the characters from Peanuts have murdered someone and gone <laughs> on the lamb, which is interesting. It's, I, don't, I don't know if it's deliberate, it's just the occasional panel that does look like that. Um, if you go for melodrama, it's it's there. It's um, kind of raw and angry, mm. and I'm too old for that. But it's definitely definitely enjoyable. Beyond that, I just read dumb stuff. Great, I had a lot a lot of fun reading dumb stuff. I read um, Dangerous by um, Robert Ball and someone else. A human being. Someone else. Maybe. Um, Could be an Android collaborator. One of the Um, the great beast guys. My people get it. With Cadwell in his name, who's not Adam Cadwell. There's another one? There's another one. I don't know if if they're related. We should ask. Because he's got a hyphenated name. Cadwell something. Half-brother? That's all as far as I've got. Should we talk to Ellaby? Yeah, we'll we'll just look up on the internet. No, talk to Ellaby. Okay. He probably doesn't care. We'll do that. I was just going to Google it. He's getting a lot of headaches these days. Okay. Ellaby. Oh, right. Dangeritis is uh, an exquisite course between the two artists where you've got a uh, kind of ginger mulleted uh, 
action hero called Derek Danger, who's kind of a pudgy 70s looking sort of a guy with... Oh, is this the thing you're showing me? Yeah, big hair and uh, sunglasses with a target on one eye because, you know, you would have if you were that sort of action hero. Um, and they basically did it as, as an exquisite corpse, draw one page, the next person has to draw the next page with no planning, and it would just sort of ratchets up through this insane action sequence. Um, it's rather beautiful. I mean, it's really, I did really enjoy cool. some of the... I, mean, I like both of them, but um, the more kind of um, vividly vector one... Yeah, that's Robert Moore. Yeah. That was, that's delightful. And it, it, did, it did just make me think there's something that I've noticed in the last couple of years. I don't want to get too distracted into this, but a lot of graphic design tropes seem to be coming into comics, or, or at least I've noticed it more. So obviously there's quite a lot of stuff in ours, Hawkeye, culminating in Pizza Dog, which is basically a, a very funny joke and a slightly touching story and a masterclass in information design. Mm-hmm. Um, there's quite a bit of it in McKelvey's Young Avengers, but you're seeing it all sort of all over the place. I'm interested also in how much of that is the kind of growing influence of colorists and them getting their own shit on. Because I think... Could be. I think there might be something in that, potentially. Mm-hmm. As in, I'm sure it's a... This could be, I mean, it could be worth ferreting around in. It's the kind of thing that if I had time to do all the reading and the thinking, I'd love to write about. But the kind of information design and graphic design principles creeping into, or maybe they've always been there, I need to go and check comics. Um, I think there's, I think they've always been there, but there's probably a greater prevalence now. Stuff looks more like graphic design yeah. recently. Mind yeah. you, there was a period in the 80s when all graphic design looked like underground comics, so yeah. Yeah, Whatever. but there's also, I mean, if, like someone like Jim Steranko, who's very heavily grounded in graphic design principles, his stuff was very, very 60s modish graphic design and it was still comic-y but there were some really there's some genuinely great splash pages of his that are just insanely over designed um, and for that time some really incredible stuff with colour as well from the information design point of view as well I think kind of the so the pizza dog thing the very symbolically representative stuff mm. there's a lot more use of symbol bleeding into everyday information and I think that again bleeding into comics is yeah. interesting to think it about. It might have something to do with the web kind of yeah. dynamic pop-outs and call-outs and attention and steering. And, yeah. yeah, we give you a little blob to show mm. you what you're supposed to do instead of telling you using our words or our nice individual pictures. We yeah. There's also a lot, there's changes in the way that comics tend to be put together, particularly the mainstream stuff, there's less Overlaid narration. There are fewer thought bubbles. Um, it's it's Not far convention. more. It's far more dialogue and art now. Yeah. Whereas before it would have been dialogue, narration, thought bubble, and art. This is something I found really quite interesting about um, epileptic. Um, was just the sheer compartmentalization of the panel structure and the fact that a lot of them were basically annotated single images, loosely subordinated. Uh, are we getting more towards the kind of visual abstraction singularity in comics, or? Uh, Are we doing less with our words? Maybe it's a thing. You make a good point. I just thought I'd string some words together and see if you went for it. Uh, It's the kind of thing I totally go for. Um, I'm going to go with no, but I. Something seems to be getting a bit richer in that direction, maybe. Or or maybe it's just that I've noticed, and maybe it's just what I've read. I don't want to go on a limb and assert this, but um, I like the idea that there might be one. Mm. That some kind of. Informational abstraction, or possibly kind of um, some sort of universality of visual hmm. stuff. 
like a non-shit version of manga's visual grammar. So this is, um, I don't know if either of you have seen that documentary they did about the place in Finland where they're trying to bury yes. all the spent nuclear fuel I, and how I you tell... didn't actually watch that, but it sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. how this you is tell... not a place of honour. No, it's called, some, it's called something else. No, but that's, but... The, yes, that's yes. the translation of the sign. Yes. Like, basically, so this is... This is uh, the, the the way that they tried to pass the idea that you should never fucking come here because there's so much nuclear fuel. Yeah, whilst um, also for excavators yeah. it looks potentially like a cathedral or a tomb or somewhere that could be treasure or religious significance. Yeah. How you deal with that and how you tell things in the future which are sentient enough to be or organic enough to be damaged by it and able to avoid it at the same time whilst not necessarily being human or humanoid and not necessarily... Mm having language similar to ours or indeed language at all or yeah. anything can be represented visually and some of the kind oh. of more out there ideas mm. they've come up with like big huge spikes that look like a kind of dense thicket from a Disney film except like skyscraper height mm. you know stuff that says says clearly danger without using mm. any of the symbols we rely on to convey that information like reverse engineering future archaeology is I mean, yeah that, it sounds like a warren ellis wet dream but it's also <laughs> legitimately interesting it's okay i'm a, I'm a huge nerd for this shit too this is this what's is the name good. of the documentary i can't remember for the life of me please put it on the show notes sure thanks it's good oh there's lots of rambling scandinavians i just saw what was on the screen of your ipad and now i'm sad would you like to tell the viewers I don't know. I, I, don't know I was kind of hoping it would come up organically, but just the fact that there is a German Haribo suite called Arses mit Ehren, Arses with Ears, is not going to come up organically in the it's comments not, podcast, no matter how much shit you people are talking. Yeah. So there we go. I'm just sad about the world. You should be. They look quite tasty. It's a little a brave new world that has such Haribo in it. But, it's like, a foamy little bum with a jelly ear on the I, side. I, I am fond of bottoms, but I do not think those look particularly tasty. You are fond of bottoms. So, this week we're talking, perhaps ill-advisedly, given the gibberish we've been spouting so far, uh, about comics on mental health, of which there are a fairly staggering number. Mm-hmm. I would say, I think which is partly a reflection of the fact that autobiocomics are a big, big section of the indie comics market. And if you've had a sad life, you're probably more likely to write about it. Yes. Mm. And of course, you know, you get magical artistic tendencies as an mm-hmm. as inevitable side effect. It's just how it always works. They kind of go hand in hand. I mean, at the crazy gate, they give you your artist card. At the artist gate, they give you your crazy card. You yeah. know, you're, you're covered both ways. Os- Oscar bait films have definitely taught me that that is mm-hmm. it. There's a one-to-one correlation. Yeah. Yeah, you just spend enough time drawing arrows between things, you're suddenly a genius. Jennifer Lawrence deserved that Oscar for saving that dude. I mean, she did a good job. Sorry, what was the uh, Silver Linings playbook? Uh, I didn't see it. Neither did I, but it's got Jennifer Lawrence in it, so it's probably great. (laughs) Do we need to have a little time for Jennifer Lawrence? I think it was Mark Ellaby summed it up. Morning after the Golden Globe said, so who just woke up and uh, Googled Jennifer Lawrence 2014 GIF? Um, he was right to do so. He was right to do anyway, so. Anyway, we've strayed mm. off topic and it's my fault. It's quite alright. You've got to do a little reverie around I just her. fucking love her. She's great. She doesn't give a fuck in an industry where you're expected to give a fuck as a woman you're expected who wants to, give to like have a nine career. Fucks. Yeah. Yeah. Quite yeah. One for everything you didn't eat that day that you could have. Mm. 
nine fucks. <laughs> yeah, donuts and babies. Babies filled with donuts and donuts filled with babies. Mental illness. Which is kind of how we washed up here. So I think we decided to. Um, like I'd, I'd been reading Light of My Shadow, you've been reading a lot of the sad comics. Mm-hmm. We've sort of thought, oh, what loosely ties together some of the stuff we've been thinking about. And it's kind yeah. of. It's, it's general brainular problems. Mm-hmm. And so, so in many ways, this is my comics comfort zone. This is mm. what I got into, and what I've sort of continued to read around the edges of, and occasionally through. Because it was sort of stuff like Fun Home that got you started reading, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Which is not sort of explicit mental health in the sense of a specific neurological disorder. Yes, it wasn't. But this it's very is a much comic about, about my therapy. condition that I have. But yeah, you've yeah. You've got the therapy, there are the sort of touches of OCD in her childhood. Mm. Difficult yeah. relationship with mother is always fertile breeding ground for both comics and mental problems. So, there's, I mean, there's, there's Light, Light of My Shadow is sort of going to huge amounts of critical acclaim at the moment. I think that's the one that mm. we've all taken a look at mm-hmm. recently. Um, so do you want to just sort of quickly break that book down and we'll go from there? Well, it starts off as, as one of those, um, how is it, you put it, slightly perfectionist, the little girl gets very sad and it all goes wrong, but then she's fine things. And I yeah. was very worried it was going to be one of those. Which which, which does, is, it's kind of your, in, in the media in general, that's your kind of 80% standard eating disorders style publication. It's the narrative of, of anorexia is perfectionist, middle class white girl, has some problems goes to hospital, it's a subplot on children's ward for a while, and then yeah. everything's all fine. Um, this this is very much not that, although it does have a number of the plot elements. Um, and it looks for a while like it's going to start conforming to those tropes, yeah. and, and sort of pulls itself off the rails quite fortunately. Yes, because everything goes astoundingly wrong round mm. about a third of the way through. I mean, it's already gone pretty wrong. Which, to be fair, is probably closer to the true narrative yes. of the illness yes. than the... Um, Media um, portrayal. Yeah, like young girl, um, compulsive behaviours, feeds into eating. Um, this becomes a problem. She becomes diagnosed and hospitalised, uh, is starting to recover, and is then sexually assaulted. That goes horribly wrong. Um, struggles through university. Struggles through university. Tries to figure out what it is she actually wants to do. It turns out to be art, and yeah. things are kind of... Good with caveats from then on. In the midst of which the disorder has morphed from kind of fairly straight up anorexia into a kind of binging and mm-hmm. constant guilt and sometimes anorexia. A, a far more realistic portrayal of mm. like the horrifying vex. Well, not realistic is such an unfair word there, I don't know. It's going to strike different people in different ways. Um, this felt So this felt truer to me than the, I just stopped eating and that was all I did. Yeah. A, but, yeah. A, because actually it's a hell of a lot more complicated than that usually. Yes. Um, because all the food things are fucked, not just one of them, and that yeah plays into a bunch of other behavioural stuff. Yeah. No, it felt kind of immediate and honest. It's interestingly drawn. There's, I mean, I do like it, but with caveats. There's something a little bit whimsical about the torn paper thing, which. Mm. So I seem to be the only person here who that didn't bother. Possibly because I read it in like an hour and a half last night when I'd had a ten-hour day and then a three-hour rehearsal. As as I read more of it, it kind of vanished, but it did annoy me initially because. It just looked overwhelmingly digital, so the whole thing is meant to be sort of shot on like coloured butcher's paper, but yeah. it looks like a couple of Photoshop layers. So the, the I mean, torn face edges. the background, but it's annoying. It annoyed me to begin with. The torn edges were beautifully, but you're right, it does look digital. My, my main problem was that I um, 
was fairly sure that the colour shifts were meant to be doing some of the lifting. Great. Can't really see them. Don't really know I was going to say on. the kind of the, the spectrum it... between the reddy browns and the greenish browns. I thought I was looking at a couple of tones of greens and greys, and I knew that something was meant to be happening, but I was very lost with that. There was some purple in there. Did you get really? the purple? Where's the purple? In her hair. Oh yes. No. Okay, you got the purple. Good. Bits of blue. Were there bits of blue? Maybe. I, I read this last night. I, got, I should know. I got very confused about what work the colouring was doing, especially when it was a slow transition. Is the problem of this that the colouring? isn't doing the lifting it's expected to, or is the problem that your eyes don't work right and you need a new head? Um, I think it's the new head issue. Okay. It's quite Some, a subtle shift. So someone needs a tiny balloon. Your so, eyes are really broken, being as they are magic marker. Yeah. Also, you're colourblind. Um, it's really sad. He's just a colourblind giraffe. I'd make a giraffe noise right now, but I don't know what they sound like. you never seen South Park. <laughs> He's forgotten how to swallow. Some of the air's escaping. His throat's so long, it's a problem. <laughs> it's got that knot halfway down. Not that many bones. No, a little valve to stop my head exploding if yeah. I bend down. Just a lot bigger. Is that real or is that yeah. an urban myth? No, same. The, the, no, the, the valve for the head explosions. What, in... in I don't fucking know. The valve for the head explosions? Really Anecdotally, know. giraffes have a special arrangement of arterial plumbing. Um, so that if they um, bend all the way down, the um, pressure differential and sort of gravity governance doesn't cause massive problems. This gets this has been phrased as head exploding. I suspect it just means a bit of mild hemorrhaging. Convery, how scientist? I don't know. God damn. I don't know. There's supposed to be some Look, kind of valve arrangement to stop giraffes, giraffes' heads going wrong if they bend down. Your oldest and maybe dearest friend has been a balloon giraffe as long as you've known him. You just haven't even investigated his people. It's callous. Well, his people, I'm sorry to say, are not real giraffes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind him, not on air. That's part of the tragedy. God. We're on insensitive. So I'm going to... We're not on air, it's the future radio. Okay. Let's See get back on track. The future. Okay. So, Let's get um, back on track. Because... This is nonsense. We've taken it off in a weird, Sorry. weird direction. So I don't read much of... Much by way of memoir comics at all. I find them very hard to write about. I'm not going to get into that, but really. So, this, this interestingly, this um, is something I actually think we should take off the podcast because I haven't read your review. Yeah. I intended to before this, but. Um, I've seen your kind of usual critical tricks fall down in the face of someone's life, however they choose to tell it. Pretty much that, but for a large part of it, you I kind of. It feels awkward telling someone that their trauma isn't very well plotted. Mm. Um, so, for your. For the listeners at home, Roger's usual critical t- tricks are revolving around authorial intent and... Well, not really, but revolving around deliberately evading it, um, digging into narrative structure. Um, close reading. Close reading, di- dipping into very fine close reading and then pulling outwards into kind of structural close reading on a kind of narrative assembly level. But when the, Peter Brook reading for the plot, all of that jazz. But um, We'll yeah. put that in the show notes for those of you who didn't study English at Cambridge. Sorry. Um, no, sorry, I was being a dick as well. <laughs> but, um... Oh, yeah, yeah so thank you for letting me into the room here. It's, it's, oh, fuck off. It's fine. Fucking balloon giraffe racist. We took your poor person tax off you on the way in. I'm going to spend it all on champagne and caviar. <laughs> Brought my own microphone. 
he's a giraffe made of balloons. <laughs> We've all got problems. Yeah, I know. I think uh, I think it might have been a bit of affirmative action. He <laughs> <laughs> can't even talk. <laughs> it's just a squeaking sound caused by the friction. Gentle hairs of air escaping from an inevitable <laughs> puncture. <laughs> it's very delicate. Um, and brain. Sorry, brain. this has gone so <laughs> No, what I was going to ask you was, um, I don't read a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. How, um, how typical is Lighter Than My Shadow of, of the kind of sad comics, particularly the sort of nebulous brain dealer problems sad comics how does it is, is it kind of issuing from the tradition is it novel how does it interrelate it's longer but less dense somehow it's which doesn't sound like that sort of interesting or profound a point to make you know what I mean but a lot of people do more tighter stuff in a shorter amount of space I did wonder about that um, this is going to sound so frivolous but actually on density the pages are really fucking big Whereas you mm-hmm. take something like blankets or epileptic, yeah, and they're cramming a lot cramped. into yeah. So I mean, blankets again, it's probably about the same size page, maybe a bit smaller, but he's got mm-hmm. a lot of visual density in there. I mean, so well, if you you've read Habibi as well, yeah, okay, you've read Habibi, yes, it's incredibly ferociously visually dense. dense. But then it's sort of recalling sort of illustrated illustrated manuscript, of course. Um, but you see the seeds of that in blankets with you know. Yeah women falling and swirling out of the sky whilst he's doing something underneath and there's another motif mm. in the corner and there's mm. a whole bunch of stuff going on whereas this was there was a lot of space being used yes. but the fact that the, the kind of the colouring of the pages and her use of black and grey and dark and fades in and out to describe her mental state kind of made it not not how space is usually used in comics mm. I think actually the absence of whiteness was quite mm. interesting so I talk about that a little bit in the review. Okay. Not much Sorry. way of gutters, no. really, is there? There's, there's no. a lot of... It's, it's quite freeform. Well, this is, this is one of the things that's quite interesting that's going on about it, is that it's it begins quite in quite a regimented, comics-y way, and then a number of the visual devices are kind of able to play with that structure of reality, so with gutters, with colour balance, yeah. um, with the nature of the line. Which also plays in, again, to the early rigidity of her thought and behaviour and how that kind of disintegrates as she disintegrates. And yeah. You know, there are plenty of nice playoffs between what's going on and how it looks. And and there's, there's some similar stuff in, I keep mentioning it because I've just finished, well, mostly finished reading it, um, mm. Epileptic, where yeah. the page structure is nominally quite regimented and then mm. break down in quite elaborate ways. Yes. Um, so, um, so, I mean, the thing, the, so I read this last night, my thoughts aren't quite processed or filtered yet, but the thing that really stood out for me, and it's not even, it's, I'm not sure it's even a point about comics, but... It was the relationship with her parents, so right. the kind of the... She goes into the sort of control behaviours later and the kind of rebellion against them and their kind of... The sort of difficulties mm. of their relationship. But there was a lot of kind of stuff... There was a lot of stuff about her childhood where I just thought... And it's so easy to do this in retrospect, and I'm not a parent, and I'm not criticising anyone for the choices they make, but there was a lot of... You, you could see how the way she portrayed their style of parenting could easily have fed into the problems she later experienced. Yeah. You know, there was the, no, you've got to eat everything, you've got to go upstairs on your own, even though you're clearly a very anxious child who doesn't is afraid of the dark and monsters and stuff. Just the kind of gently forcing her to be s- closer to and needed probably more structure and less just go and do it yourself and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And so what interested me about that and then the kind of eventual exploration of the breakdown of family relationship and, you know, them kind of their presence in her recovery and then her distancing herself from them when she went to university and all that stuff was 
the f- fact that she dedicated the book to them, the fact that she thanked them profusely in the kind of author's notes at the mm. end, it was the it really struck me how much how much this stuff is tied into the family and how pervasive those family bonds and family problems are. You know, so yeah. Well, Beckel's sort of OCD stuff yeah. is very much about that. And, you know, Beckel as well has written two comics basically slagging off her mother and still has, or had at the time of her mm. mother's death, a reasonably close relationship yeah. with her mother. And so, you know, had it been me writing this, it would have been a very different, you know, I wouldn't have thanked my parents. And mm. I found it fascinating that she did and that that's kind of... Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's... I don't want to comment on anyone else's family relationship because it's none of my fucking business, but... I'm curious as to whether that's sort of matured and changed and they've reached a kind of point of understanding with each other or how much of that is still kind of, how much of the sort of childhood is pervading into her adult life right. as a creator. Hmm. Interesting. And, and I don't know hard to, the... It's going to be hard to pass because it's set in her childhood yes. so substantially. And it's the trouble as well is that it's all entirely filtered through her. It's mm. not what happened, it's her perception of what happened and her yeah. memory of what happened and... Is is that what causes you problems writing about it? Is it the kind of the layer of filter between? Yeah, it's well. Oh gosh, um, this this is gonna get messy, but uh, <clears throat> it's okay. As a, like, criti- critically, I have a problem with right answers. Mm-hmm. This is one of those kind of lazy structuralist, post-structuralist kind of postmodernist things. Um, I got really cranky at uni about dogmatic historicism. I have no problem with historical context mm-hmm. um, informing literary criticism. I have a massive problem with the kind of literary criticism that is basically just literary history dressed up as critical analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, something, 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 Stephen Greenblatt, something, something, something. Yeah, of course. Um, little bastard. It's, no, it's a really good... The Hamlet in Purgatory is a fascinating book, but... No, I'm not going to do this round. I'm not going to do this round. Sorry, we're doing um, that thing again. You need to pay more money to continue listening to us. Well, I think you need to go and have a di- completely different education to understand anything you just said. Uh, Sorry. Uh, um, anyway, um, dogmatic right answers in text get in the way of being able to hold up multiple simultaneous interpretations and point at the differences in the interplay and talk about what's interesting. So something that is less overtly a constructed work feels like it has less of an affordant surface for me as a critic mm-hmm. um, because there's always that potential comeback of, well, fine, but that's not what happened. Or, no, it's like that because it's true. Yeah. And I guess I, in writing about memoir, I struggle because I have a kind of preemptive reaction to the retort, it's like that because it's true. Mm. That's completely fucking mental. I appreciate that. But also, but, well, no, because it's still it's still being presented to you as a narrative. Sure, um, and, and it's and with comics more so than prose memoirs, it's artistically constructed. This is why I find myself writing more about the art in nonfiction than I do in fiction. So, but also, I mean, it's it's a perfectly fair point to say that the creator is very much the focus and the lens and the distorted perspective through which you see the work of art and the narrative. It's, I think it's fine for you as a critic to say, you know, with the pushback, no, that did happen, no, that didn't happen, to say, well, how do you know, almost? Mm. I mean, maybe, maybe not everybody's yeah. memory is as completely fucked as mine is, but I can't point to veracity in my own history. Mm. You, know, I, there, there, you know, obviously events stuff that definitely didn't happen but the kind of the feel of the thing and the 
and the truth of it is not something for me which exists. And getting it down on the page would therefore be just as much of an interpretive exercise as extracting it from the imagination, one yeah. could perfectly well argue. And maybe I should just be less uptight about it, but yeah, the, the whole, the, there just feels like a lot less affordance on that surface. So the, the problem I have with stuff like this, critically, is it's so hard to unpick and, and, and the trouble is that some of it is constructed, but it's so hard to unpick from the kind of the rawness and the pain, something you can actually cling on to, to, hmm. to usefully, critically comment on. Well, yeah, I really don't want to be the person that says your misery isn't very well written. Yeah. That's... That's a dick move. You yeah. don't want to be that guy. So there are quite a lot of books, there are quite a lot of narrative comics in the sort of mental illness field, including quite a lot that we've talked about relatively recently, like Naming Monsters, mm -hmm. which is very much about um, an OCD-style illness on top of someone coming to terms with their sexuality. And family problems. Yeah. yeah. The one sat on my shelf okay. is the Now Brown, which I... Yes, yes. Now, very much now Brown read. is, That's is my next about read. OCD. Yeah. Um, I think you'll find more to cling on to critically in Now of Brown than in mm. Light of the My Shadow, in part because it's fiction. Yeah. It's also, I mean, OCD is, is at the forefront of it, but it's also um, big and layered and dense. There is plenty to pick at. And it's tighter as well, mm. I'd say. Yeah. Structurally. For the, for the most part, it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, and I think you could look at it as a, on a quite a simple level of a story of someone with OCD acting out, and you would have a reasonable time, but it is dense and worth picking at. Mm. Um, but there's also things like I Kill Giants, um, which I think you've read. No, um, you lent it to me, and then I read a bunch of superhero oh, shite instead, and then I moved useless, out. Useless, feckless bastard. Yes, yes, I read it. Um, so that's in the same sort of area. That's that's a girl who's going through a trauma, and she's so badly affected by it that she sees her entire life in terms of being the protector of this sort of small seaside community and the giants are coming out of the water to destroy everything. Mm. Mm. Um, and Joe the Barbarian, it, there's, you know, there's, there's some structural parallels there. Yes, yes. It's um, a different setup, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and really quite a lot. The Swallow Me Whole as well. Um, he's sort of, by Nick Powell, is sort of parallel. Have I read that? I think so, yeah. It's what was it about? So it's, it's step-siblings, one of whom is schizophrenic, the other of whom has fairly strong OCD, um, and it sort of follows the, the sister as she basically sort of submits to her schizophrenia. I don't um, think I've read it. I think I've talked about reading it. And sort of about that, she she resents her brother for sort of recovering, mm. essentially. Whereas she's she's not doing it, but not getting help. It's, so it's again, it's another fictional narrative that's, that's worth looking at in the context of mental health. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say it's brilliant, but I've not really seen anything else do quite so much about the family dynamic, apart from epileptic, where mm. the the author David B is talking about his. Um, his brother's epilepsy, which is very, very advanced, and it's neurodegenerative, and it's it's basically him from childhood through to early adulthood looking at how 
having this sort of degenerative illness affecting his brother, having his brother basically remain childlike almost mm. to an extent. A big monstrous um, child. By the end, yeah. he makes him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sort of growing up in this family who are doing everything to support him, being resentful and acting out and feeling genuinely oppressed by his brother's illness, which is sort of, as, as you said earlier, sort of the panel structure is very, very dense. And his brother's epilepsy takes the form of this sort of giant corn snake-like thing. It looks like a sort of a striped snake. And it sort of, mm. you'll see the panel structure sort of slow up but to become more sinuous and then it'll start to actually intrude as a physical animal. Mm. And there's some, yeah, there's something a bit like, um, well, I, it may even be the visual touchstone for the coyote in Gunner Creek Court um, that snakes through it. The, and the various kind of forest creatures that kind of what that reminded me of, although the chronological order of creation is obviously different there. But yeah, there's a bunch of sort of vaguely Mayan Aztec y kind of nebulously culturally appropriated marginalia you know, types of sort of animal and, and figure um, that sort of wind through it, figuring for various things the sort of bird like creature that is the dead grandfather. Yes, the the, the the three features, the three animal characters who sort of exist in his head and outside of him, are quite interesting. So I don't think he ever presents himself as having anything particularly wrong with him. He's mm-hmm. just overactive and ignored. Maybe a little morbid. There's you know, the, the constant yeah. fixation on war and yeah. death. You become and there's the point which his brother becomes obsessed with Hitler as well which becomes yeah. quite unpleasant um, mm. his brother becomes obsessed with his his own strength and strong people um, people who can lead and it's quite dark there's no there's no redemptive um, no redemptive arc in epileptic he no, resents his brother which makes it more and claustrophobic he broadly dislikes himself for doing so but doesn't really back away from it doesn't show himself backing away from it even at the end when they're both adults and I really enjoyed it for that I liked it because it's dense and problematic and takes a good while to chew over mm. but it's also the only thing in that sort of field where it really looks at the way the family behaves and the way that someone can quite frankly be a complete dick and know they're being a dick but they can't really do anything else because the situation is so genuinely oppressive mm. so there's there's a lot of interesting books comics about mental health be they memoir or, or narrative but are there any that that are instructive or useful to someone who's undergoing mental health problems of their own so um Again, in the eating disorder space, I've been reading something on Tumblr called I Do Not Have an Eating Disorder, which is by an Australian comics artist whose name I've completely forgotten. Thank you, show notes. Um, And she sort of uses the fact that she's publishing through Tumblr to interact with her readers. I mean, she's clearly very aware that the people who are going to be attracted to the comic are, in a certain proportion, going to be people who are struggling with those issues themselves. And very much uses it as a place of this is what happened to me here are some resources you can get it's she's writing from a much better place it feels than she was during the comic um during the time the comic was set and so she's kind of sort of flexing her social muscle to help others which is which is interesting i mean so tumblr strikes me as an odd place to host a comic but actually yeah. in terms of the community and in terms of the support element i completely understand it so, so it's, it's bad from the point of view of 
being reading, able to reading, read through reading, it. Reading page to page, but yeah. it's very good in terms of reach. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I read the first few of those and I got mild UX rage and mm. then had to swallow it really fucking hard because it's quite good and it's sort of important. And yes, that reach and accessibility is useful. I think I prefer it to Light in My Shadow. Okay. They're not they're not really doing the same thing, but they're doing a similar thing in the same space. So Light in My Shadow is, is kind of it almost goes out of its way not to be self help. Mm. So the there are there are two explicit prose sections, both after what would be in a more Hollywoodized narrative, what would be the start of the happy ending. Yeah. Um, after the kind of the pages fade to white and she starts redrawing herself. Mm-hmm. Explicitly, figuratively, um, the, the, the couple of prose breakdowns talk about, like, and quite aggressively, but not aggressively, explicitly, about the fact that it wasn't all wine and roses afterwards. Recovery was problematic; it mm-hmm. didn't all sort of go right. And those are quite sharp breaks in the flow, which mm. is—it's a fairly distinct way of, of making that point. And sort of the one of them that's the coda at the end, and the more decompressed end section does does feel like, uh, yeah, going out of the way to say. This is my story. Your mileage will totally vary. Um, this is my recovery. Yours will not look like. But it, it's yeah. you know, it's it's not being a pile of resources. No, I mean I thought the, the kind of the point made about her attempt, sort of early on, to make the perfect recovery was an interesting mm. one. But yes. I and one which may well be useful to people who read it, but it's not explicitly positive as such. I did find myself thinking, yes, of course, someone with that strong of the perfectionist yeah. narrative in the stages of it would try to use, construct the rules and yes. that, I, that was that It was, was really interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, I kind of, yeah. Having dabbled, recognised some of it, didn't recognise that bit. Yeah. Found it quite fascinating. I'm trying to think of other... So I mean, I guess the the issue with is is there anything written to be helpful? Is there anything written not to be helpful? Just as kind of exploration or personal catharsis or whatever it is. Is I think it comes back to the problem of the creator of it's so hard for creators to pick apart why they're doing it that I almost I, I don't really feel comfortable assigning stuff to one category or the other. Yeah, I mean, there is bound to be quite good self-help stuff that happens to be graphical. Yeah. Um, I haven't read any, but there probably are things that are explicitly framed that way that are also comics. I mean, I think I think some of the kind of stuff that is purely narrative, so um, Psychiatric Tales, for instance, mm-hmm. Daryl Cunningham, um, is lots of kind of short snippets about his time working as a psychiatric nurse, I think somewhere in the north, and it's all... It's all kind of vaguely educational. You know, you could read it and learn stuff. It's not explicitly meant to be, I don't think. Mm. I think it's meant to be part memoir, part exploration, part him processing his own stuff. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's the kind of thing where, yes, you can read stuff and learn from it and it might help you, but I don't think... I can't think of anything that's explicitly positive as self-help. And it'd be interesting to talk to somebody who'd actually written something like this and, and sort of say, you know, were you trying to help people by doing this? Because as the, as the reader, as the slightly more casual reader, it's kind of hard to tell what the intent was there. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I kind of come at this problem from having tried to do something in that space before and it having fallen apart for a number of reasons, one of which was, why am I doing this? I don't have a good enough answer. I know you don't need mm. a good answer to make art, but... 
No, but if that was something that you wanted, then not having it is problematic. It, it wasn't. It wasn't even the wanted. It was the. It was the I can't. I can't justify it. And to me, justification is an important thing. And you know, there are other reasons, but yeah. but that was part of the problem. And so I'd be interested to kind of talk to somebody who's actually finished something and got it out there and found out find out what the motives were, if any. Who says you need a motive? The police. Oh, fuck those guys. Can that be the official consequential line? Fuck the police. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It doesn't really make sense. Consequential. Comics, criticism, and fuck the police. Just it's in, a great tagline. Informed resistance. Yeah. Well, on that note, mm. uh, I... I Thank you for your contributions, and I think we should uh, sign off. Agreed. Um, I might pretend that you're holding up a fight the power fist, but you're not. No, no. I've just sort of got my head in my hands at this point. I'm going to go home and reapply my magic marker eyes and maybe have some Ryoka. You need to put vegetables inside your balloon tonight, Roger. <laughs> I'm going to be so much for a mm. Ladies, gentlemen, good night. Mm.